0: Let's begin. I know Julie's not here, but she's been leading us to open our class in a period of meditation. I'm not going to try to do that, but let me, uh, I'll watch the clock and I'll give us about 30 seconds of silence, just quiet our minds, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Lord, we want to enter into your presence and feel your closeness, your nearness, your comfort, your goodness, your grace. We know that experiencing your life here in this fallen environment requires effort on our part. God, we ask that you teach us how to live in your presence, to be transformed by your spirit, to be changed in a real and lasting way into the people that you designed us to be. We ask that the words that we will share in the next few minutes will be helpful to your people that ideas and concepts and ways of changing our habits can change, profoundly change, our spiritual walk with You. We ask that You be glorified in all things and that You accept our praise and our worship this day, Your day, Lord's Day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, we are wrestling with the Beatitudes. We are wrestling with our existence. Who are we? What are we? What is God? What does He want from us? What do I have to do? Do I have to do anything? Why am I the way I am? Did God make me that way? Am I responsible for the way I am? What's going on in the world? Well, I think Jesus... Here's my take on it. This is a sermon that Jesus preached on more than one occasion. Luke has a version of it, call it the Sermon on the plain. and according to the context, it's not the same sermon. I mean it's not the same occasion, but it's fundamentally the same sermon. Matthew tweaks it up a little bit. And if you're getting my emails, you know, we've been wrestling with that. But today, what we're looking at is this beatitude. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, that's the King James or the American standards. That's kind of what my generation grew up with, right? Happy are those whose heart's desire is for righteousness, so, still uses the word righteousness, but uses happy instead of blessed, and then talks about the heart's desire instead of hungering and thirsting. And then finally, I wanted to show you that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. They will find what they're looking for. An interesting, very interesting beatitude. So here's what I'm calling my cheat sheet on definitions. Huh. Let me do something real quick. I don't. I don't. That's the problem with, with iCloud, right? You make changes and then you you pull it up on iCloud and it doesn't it doesn't get your new version. Let me see how this works. Nope, still giving me the same version. Anyway, I'll go with this. I did make some changes, but here are my definitions. Okay. I'm using the word maladjustment, and last week someone took issue with that word. Um, I, I, it's not a, I'm just trying to express a concept. What I'm saying is in our present condition, in our present environment, good morning. It's good to see you guys. So yeah, you know, maladjusted, you're maladjusted. Well, somebody takes offense at that, okay? I'm sorry. What I'm trying to say is, Either I am not in harmony with what God designed me to be, or the environment in which I was born is not in harmony with what God designed it to be, or both of those things are true. Now, I know that the environment into which I was born is not in harmony with what God designed it to be, How do I know that? Well, I'm five years old and I'm being sexually molested by a neighborhood boy. And my parents are nowhere near to, to stop it. And it basically sets the trajectory for my entire life. Is that what God designed this world to be? And so because of that hurt, I became maladjusted. Right? I did not know how to properly respond to that, and that created problems later in my life, which I've been talking about. So that's all I'm trying to say. We can use any word we want. Maladjustment just seems to be the one I chose. But the Bible calls this sin. And, and if we look at the Bible, what it's telling us about sin, there's nuances to what's being said. There's missing the mark. This is a favorite one, right? Judges 20. You miss the mark. Wow, you're not doing right. And I mean, right? Us perfectionists, we interpret that to mean i got to try harder. i gotta, I got to be better. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to you know, memorize more Scripture. That's not what's being said. What's being said is you can't do it because something's gone wrong. And that's okay. I mean, the Gospel comes along and says, God's not worried about that. God's fixed it. God promised to fix it a long time ago. And He's now accomplished that. But the bottom line is, you're going to miss the mark. So lighten up. Don't take yourself so seriously. Trust Jesus Christ. Okay, now I'm going to start preaching. Okay, here's another one. This is 1 John. Lawlessness. Literally, and I sent it out in the email if you're looking at it, so I'm not going to draw the Greek up on that. But it's a-nomia, against law or without law. It's, It's you, you in your fallen state, have taken it upon yourself to make yourself the standard, right? My silly illustration is, you know, who's the road hog? The road hog is the idiot in front of me who's going five miles an hour slower than the speed limit and won't get out of my way, right? Who's the reckless driver? It's the idiot in my rearview mirror who won't get off my bumper, right? I'm the standard. If everybody drove exactly the way I drive, what a great world this would be. <laughs> Except in my wife's opinion, or my son's opinion, or my, my oldest, or my mother-in-law, my, my oldest son said, Dad, you are the only human being on the planet who makes me car sick. <laughs> and then of course, transgression. So if if you if I am living by a standard that I am making and God says oh by the way here's my standard what am I going to do with God's standard I'm not going to keep it I'm going to break it and that's the story of the Bible right that's the story that is the human condition what causes it do I cause it is there some defect in me I'm not sure Was I born this way? I don't know. What I know for sure is that I was born into an environment that is broken, right? And very early, I began picking up hurts from my environment that caused hang-ups, which are maladjusted thinking, improper thing. I don't know how to respond properly, and so I choose a way to respond to protect myself. And where does that send me? Well, it can send me into a very self-destructive trajectory. I mean, it did me. All right. Questions or comments about that? Eric, you look like you're about to say some. I I I told you at the beginning I don't know how to lead a discussion class because I'm I just talk. You, you know, the preacher says, Oh, we're gonna have a discussion. Yeah, right. You're gonna talk for thirty-five minutes and we're gonna listen. Don't call that a discussion, okay? <laughs> so a maladjusted human being, one that is out of alignment or harmony with God's purpose, one that is now self-directed and Breaking God's laws, because we're not, we're not in tune with that, we're sort of making it up as we go along, is not flourishing. So, Eric, this is my word that I get from Pennington, but I'm going to use your word here in a second. Is not flourishing, as God designed His creatures to flourish. See, He didn't design us to suffer the things we suffer. And I'm not going to pick on anybody, but you know, bouts of depression. I know we've all had them, right? Or most everybody. Uh, What happens? Life stinks, right? I don't want to go on. It's not worth living. What's causing that? Well, there's a thousand things that can be causing that. Sometimes it's physiological, and you need, you know, there is a chemical imbalance, and you need medication. Please don't ever let anybody tell you all you need is the Bible. And, you know, pray harder. No, science is telling us these things are physiologically verifiable. Things go wrong in our bodies. Things go wrong in our brains and cause these things. And we need help. Sometimes it is spiritual. I know... a. You know, when I when I gave in to my addiction and was living and just gave up on God, walked away, I've never experienced that level of depression. So, I believe from my experience, my depression is linked to my spiritual condition. I'm not saying that's everybody. I'm saying that's me. Because I know people who... You know, it's a physiological thing. Okay, you get my point. So, what are the Deatitudes saying? They're saying, you know, we don't want to make them a system of legalism. We're terrified of that, right? We don't want to be legalists. Okay, that's fine. Let's not be legalists. But let's not go to the other extreme and say they mean nothing. Poverty of spirit is not an attitude that I want to develop in my life. Well, let's just tear the bad attitudes out then, right? Why are they in the Bible? Poverty of spirit is, and I'm filtering this through the 12-step program, it's a renouncement of self-reliance in an environment that rewards Performance and achievement. See, we don't even realize that we are self reliant. We don't even realize how individualistic we are. I got up this morning, I was working on this lesson, I opened my garage, I counted 17 houses up and down my street. I know one of them, Freddie, right across the street. How many lawnmowers? are owned within those 17 houses. Probably 17, right? I would never go across the street and borrow my neighbor's lawnmower. I would have to have my own. Well, of course. That's just the way it is. And so when when someone comes to us and says, you know, how do you deal with all the individualism in your culture? What individualism? It's like going to a fish and say, What do you think of all this water? And the fish says, What water? You know, if you don't behave this way, you are irresponsible. And this is the way God designed it to be. This is the way God would want his people to live. You don't share things with each other, you go by your own, buddy. And then we open Acts 2 and we say, man, that's communism, <laughs> you know? We persecute people for thinking that that's the way to live, right? Poverty of spirit begins to recognize these things about ourselves, about our culture, and they begin to question, what impact does that have on my spiritual life? I have no relationship with my neighbors. If I'm in trouble, I don't have anybody to call. If I have a flat tire, I can't possibly go to my neighbor. I don't even know most of their names. What does that do to my spiritual existence? Am I connected with anyone? And again, How does that affect my spiritual health as I journey through this life? Mourning, bereavement, loss. And that's what bereavement is bereft. You you are at a, a service of bereavement when you're at a funeral because there's been a loss. Something is now missing. What's missing? This life that's been taken. So this. This bereavement, this, lo- this sense of loss is caused by an awareness of the discrepancy between what this world could be and what it is, and what it is. And the more you begin to understand, you know, this is having an effect on my spiritual health, it makes me sad, makes me very sad. You know, my mom came back into my life four years ago. I I had no idea who she was. Hadn't really had a relationship with her for 40 years. Her husband dies and now she's my responsibility. She's got Alzheimer's. I have to take care of her every single day. It sent me over the edge. I mean, I wasn't healthy to begin with. But I had to face all of that junk in my life. The anger and the resentment. Where were you? when I was being molested. Where were you? She was off at Haight-Ashbury, living as a hippie. Strung out on... Anybody seen the movie Judy Garland? Judy? It's a great movie. We saw it last night. That was my mom. Strung out on barbiturates, on speed, diet pills they called them back then, right? You know, all this anger, all this resentment, all this... Stuff that I had never dealt with that I had just crammed down inside of me and compensated for by being a perfectionist, overachieving, driven, and then <laughs> medicating that with, you know, two beers a night and then four beers a night, then six beers a night, then a 12 pack a night and keeping it all hidden from everybody and then self-destructed. It's sad. It's a sad life. What are the Beatitudes saying? Meekness. Meekness, in my opinion, is a skill and an ability redirected by choice. Redirected or re, (laughs) what's the computer word? Finds another application, applicated anyway, to accomplish the will of another consciously relinquishing self-will in deference to a relationship with another. The the example I use, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did He have the ability to avoid the cross? Yes. And yet, what did He do? He relinquished that ability to accomplish the will of another in whom He was in relationship with whom he was in a relationship. That's that's the classic definition of meekness. Yes, well, ma'am. You're at the cross, and I'm in the desert, Jesus being tempted by Satan. I think sometimes we forget that Satan is here with all his thousands that's of right. devil angels mm-hmm. and trying to pull us down. That's right. And Trying to make us stay in bed and cover our heads. Right. And, and we wonder, why? what is the big deal? I mean, turn the rocks into stones. He's going to do that, essentially, to feed 4,000, right? Why not do it now so that you're hungry? It makes sense, right? And Jesus had that ability. But He relinquished that ability because He did not want to serve another master. And it's the same thing in our lives. An impurity of heart, which just means singleness of mind. A life undiluted, and here's your word, Eric, by ineffective ways of giving my life meaning, of giving it significance, of giving myself importance, becoming an attorney in three states, making lots of money, and still at the end of the day, needing that 12-pack. Why? Because I loathe myself absolutely despise myself and would never dream of coming into this classroom even three or four years ago and saying to you, I struggle with my sexuality because I was taught to be a homosexual when I was five years old. And the pain that that causes, I'm I'm medicating it every night with at least a six pack and more like 10 or 12 beers, and I'm still coming here. I'm your elder. I'm your preacher. I'm your good guy. Everybody likes me, right? It's a life looking for a place to blow up somewhere, and it did. On Friday the 13th. It's amazing that I was baptized on Saturday the 13th of May. And I tried to off myself on Friday the 13th of May. God has His sense of humor. Of course, my mind was so screwed up, I had no idea I was on the same day that I'd been immersed into Christ 40 years earlier. But this purity of heart, it's not goodness. You know, It's not talking about goody-goody, oh, look, I'm a pure heart. It's talking about a singleness of intention. I see what God has for me I see what I have made for myself and I single heartedly, single mindedly focus on what God has for me. And I am going to enter into that life and I am going to relinquish all of these things. So let's pick up on our prior discussion. We're just right on time. Any questions about that? Let me, uh, the guy that asked the question last week that caused I mean that was wild. I didn't know if that was the devil's advocate question or if he really struggles with that, but I'm going to answer his question and he's not even here to, to listen. But what we're talking about, you know, last week I mentioned something, and he said, well, if if God made us this way, if God created us to be depression, you know, filled with depression, if God made us defective then how can He hold us accountable? I mean, if I have a gene within me that makes me a homosexual, how can God condemn me for being a homosexual? Or I have a gene within me that makes me an alcoholic. How can God condemn me for becoming an alcoholic? Great questions. What are our answers? Anybody? How do we answer that question? We, we all have a gene in this that makes us sin yeah, in some way. <laughs> yeah, we all have a gene that's defective, right? Carl, you were going to say something? No, I just said we, we always find criticize other people. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to have sex with my neighbor's wife. Does that mean, oh, I have a gene that makes me sexual, so <laughs> it's God's fault. Shot. It's God's fault, right? Not mine. Yeah, so it's the problem of evil. I love this. <laughs> the the and this you know, this may get a little technical, but I I was giving an answer to the to the person who asked the question, but I mean it's a serious question. God is all-powerful and if God is all-loving and God is all-good and He wants what's best for me, why in the world when I was five years old was I there in that piggly wiggly house, we called it. It was a abandoned butcher shop with nobody there to protect me. Where was God? Where was He? Well, I could I could wallow in that and I could make a pretty good excuse for being a real jerk of a person, right? Yeah, exactly. Who said that? Yeah. <laughs> and is that really gonna answer the problem? Because at some point you're accountable still for Amen. Amen. That's what the Bible says. So let's learn how to live into God's grace because that's where the power is. And at the risk of being a little bit critical, I don't know if our churches are doing that for people. And as our culture becomes more and more embroiled in addiction and bad behavior, our churches maybe Again, I'm trying not to be critical, but our churches may be not quite sure how to respond, and so we pull back, which is the worst thing we can do. The best thing we can do is go out there and show them how to overcome where the power is. So let me go through about 10 minutes of discussion. So. Here's how I look at it. Again, I'm an academic. I've you know, got degrees coming out my ears because I'm an overachiever. You know. My son said, Dad, how many degrees are you going to get? You're a thermometer. You have so many degrees. <laughs> Here's a logical pro- uh, walkthrough. Okay, God created all things. Amen? Evil is a thing. Therefore, God created evil that's the basic argument. And if God created evil, then I'm off the hook and God's on the hook and I can go party and snort cocaine and have sex with, you know, whoever I want to and I can live the life I want, right? Well, here's the thing. It is logically valid. It's properly constructed. In other words, it's an argument that and I won't write it up there, but it, and I won't go into all the logic, but there's it's a syllogism, okay? And a syllogism, in order to be valid, has to go by certain rules. So you can't say, you know, all dogs are black, my cat is black, therefore my cat is a dog. No, that doesn't work. It's But it's because, it's not because there's not any truth, all dogs are black, well, that may be untrue, but this what I'm saying is the structure of the syllogism is wrong. The point is, this syllogism is properly constructed. And so it presents an absolutely ironclad argument that God created evil unless if, 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 if both the major premise is true and the minor premise is true. So that's what where we have to go. Did God create all things? Yes. Now one solution to the problem that you'll find out there, especially if you go back into Greek philosophy, is no, God did not create all things. This is many in the first century, about the time of Christianity. It was sort of a rival idea that shows up in our New Testaments, not as a positive thing, but as being argued against. Now, Colossians and some other things. But what it says is, God is eternal, but he's not omnipotent. Evil is eternal and it's not omnipotent. The two coexist in eternal conflict. And so what you wind up with is kind of a religious dualism. There's God, there's forces of good, there's life, there's perfection, and then there's gods or Satan, forces of evil, death, and these are in eternal conflict with each other. Star Wars. Star Wars. Now, is this a biblical view? God kicked Satan out of heaven. So he if, if he created evil, why did he kick evil out of heaven? Exactly. Very good. So this is religious dualism. It forms the basis of a lot of the Gnostic thinking that was so prevalent in the first century. And John just goes ape crazy against this stuff. You know, don't listen to it, it's a lie. It's uh, Okay, so we say, no, the, the major premise is true. God did create all things. So now we look at the minor premise. Is evil a thing? No, it's the absence of a thing. See, I mean, think about it. So God's going along, He creates a cat, then he creates a dog. Then he creates a cow. And then he says, oh, I forgot something. i got to create evil. Doesn't work that way, does it? And this is really important. I mean, I'm not just playing mental games, mental gymnastics for you. It, it really is important when we come to our spiritual lives. What is God telling us to do? So evil is not a thing. It is a no thing, and no thing cannot be created. Here's here's the illustration that I use. I hope this illustration speaks to you. So here's a shirt. It's obviously been designed for something, right? It has a function. If it is to flourish as a shirt, it's going to be what it needs to be to function in the way it was designed. This is not a design flaw. This has a purpose. This is not a design flaw. It has a purpose. But what if I do this? My wife's gonna kill me because she bought me this shirt. Now what have I got? Now we say it's a hole as if it were a thing, but is it really a thing? It's the absence of something, right? It's, it's, It's a space, it's a vacuum where material ought to be. See, and that part has to be there. You're going to have a cold spot. Yeah. <laughs> so because, I mean, these are not holes, right? Because these holes serve a function. So they're not they're not a problem. Now, Eric, is that an effective shirt? In certain applications, I <laughs> <laughs> actually prefer you definitely have a target. I mean, this shirt is not flourishing, right? It's a black hole. Now it's a black hole. There you go. I would say that, that hole is just in the wrong spot. Is it? Where should it be? <laughs> then it wouldn't be a design flaw, right? But, but here's the point. We, we, God did not create evil. He allowed us to have a free will. And when we chose, we brought something into our existence that is more, we will understand it better if we understand it as something is now missing. The main thing that is missing is the presence of God, right? He could no longer dwell in our presence. And so we are born into an environment that is, for all practical purposes, spiritually dead, right? And then we wonder why people behave the way they behave, right? And we go out there and we tell them, you need to behave better, you need to behave better, you need to behave better. And what do they really need? You need God in your soul. You need God in your soul. You need God to be living, to come and live within you. Are we showing in that? Are we demonstrating that? Are we showing what that life looks like? That's the question. Here's here's the error that I made. I'm not going to talk about you, okay? I'm going to talk about me. Here's the error that I made when I realized that I was, had a problem. See, this is what I did. And this is what you may do, right? Hey, how are you doing this morning, Barry? I'm fine. I'm doing great. No problems here. Hole what hole? You know, somebody, somebody who's if you want to say something, say something. We see the hole in the back. Yeah. Oh, we're here. Here, tape that hole in the back up with this clear tape. You'll it'll be even better fix, right? She's got your back. She's got my back.
1: Oh, that's all right.
0: You'll get the idea. Will you auction that off? So, so this this is not my good side. So when I come to church, I'll show you this side. See, it's a little better because it's clear tape. And ma- and maybe some of you are good at seam being. you good seamstress, right? And you can sew it very carefully. So that nobody really knows unless they get really close, and then you push them away, right? You see what I'm saying? You just don't share. Well, we don't even start out understanding where is the power, and this, you know, this church wants to. They came to me. And they said we want to be attractive to damaged people. You are not going to be attracted to damaged people if we're all hiding our damage. Yeah, come get your life together like us. And they say, Yeah, I've tried that. I've tried that a lot. (laughs) And it don't work. And what the church should be saying is, Dude, we are all damaged. We are all damaged. And there is no hope in any human system to get help. I am powerless. You are powerless. We are all powerless together to do anything about it. But hey, I know a place. I know a place that you can come and if you'll have the strength to admit that you have a problem, and you're willing to submit to a power greater than yourself that will take you into a a process that won't be easy. You'll have to be really honest with yourself. At some point, it will call on you to be honest with other people, to confess, to admit, and then to seek forgiveness and make amends and to live life in the Spirit of God. But you know what happens? You don't just get tape over your holes. And I'll, I'll, bring, you, I'll bring you people that can come in and they'll tell you, like Mac and Mary Owen, about their life, what it was, and what it is now. And they're not perfect. But God is working miracles. He's restoring, he's renewing, he's remaking. He's not putting patches, right? He's not using gimmicks. It's not self help, it's real transformation of human lives back into the image of Jesus Christ in a community that loves and adores Christ and loves and supports one another and shares their lawnmowers with each other, right? Right? Our culture needs us, church. It is self-destructing. And it doesn't need us to sit up on the hill and throw rocks at it. It needs us to sit up on the hill and say, come, come, all of you. You want to smoke a cigarette? Hey, do it outside, okay? we got a place for you. and we got little cans out there. But once you're done with that cigarette, come inside and at least listen to us. Yes, you're damaged. We're damaged. We're all damaged. But we're recovering through the power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, help us to be attractive to your people. Father, we know that right here at the end of our parking lot are people who are just up to their ears in confusion and deadly habits and life destroying hang-ups and God they need they need your spirit they need your grace they need your power in their lives just as we do help us god to understand how we can bridge that gap and be a light on a hill for everyone that they might come to you and and be not just cleaned up and made good people <laughs> if there is such a thing but 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 entered in but they will enter into your son Jesus Christ and be made perfect in him and then will rise from that experience to walk with us in a in a never ending process of being reformed into the image of the people you made us to be. Help us to see that as, help us to see that single-mindedly and and without any dilution of, of outside interest. Help us to see that as the very purpose for which you called us. And help us to organize our lives accordingly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations."